This is our second session on verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians, and we'll focus on church and in and grace to you in peace. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Father, teach us about the church. Teach us what it is to be in God the Father and in the Lord. Teach us about how grace comes to us and peace comes to us through First Thessalonians. Indeed, don't just teach us about it. Cause it to happen, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few thoughts here about the church so that we don't pass over it too quickly. So the church here refers to the believers who are in Thessalonica, right? It's it's a young church, it's a baby church. It's only a few months old, probably, as we said last time. And so a handful of believers in Thessalonica make up the church. The church simply means the assembly, the called out ones, assembly of believers. It has several meanings in the New Testament. Paul, a prisoner for Christ, he writes to Philemon, and Timothy, our brother, to, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So a gathering of believers in a house can be called a church, not just in a city. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, so not just a city, not just a house, but multiple regions, all the believers considered as one can be called the singular church in that region. Or Ephesians 1, God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That's the universal church. All the believers of all places and all times. Here it is again in chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's just the absolutely uh, universal reference to all who are united to Christ, all for whom he did his saving work and gave himself up for her, the church. So the church has uh, multiple levels of meaning, and oh, there's so much more we could say. Let me make a, an advertisement here for a friend of mine who's a very faithful, whoops, straight shooter when it comes to the doctrine of the church. So Mark Dever is his name. You may have heard of him. He's written a book called The Church. He has a ministry besides the church he pastors called Nine Marks. And uh, I'm so trustful of Mark to teach faithfully about the church. I would recommend anything at Nine Marks or his book, The Church. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God in Paul's 
understanding is a person, a being, and he has more than one persons making up his being. He is God the Father, and the the word Lord in Paul carries divine connotations. So there's God the Father, and there's God, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Let me just point to a couple of places so you can be reminded that I'm not making that up. Here's another letter of Paul's where he says, In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or, a few verses later in chapter 2 of Colossians, In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So, when he says God the Father, he has in mind there is God the... And we're going to see that down in verse 10. I think I'll just show it to you now. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son. So God has a Son, and that's who this is, the Lord, the Son. So God the Father, God the Son, the Lord God, Jesus Christ. Now what does it mean to be in them? And we could sit here and throw out all kinds of possibilities in union with him, in relationship with him, in partnership with him. But let's do this. Let's just look at a couple of verses where the tremendously important and central work that God the Father and God the Son have done together for the church and see if that doesn't provide a good explanation for what it would mean to be in God and in the Lord Jesus. Let's go to chapter 5. Oh, how I love these two verses. God gave these to me when the doctor told me I had cancer about 15 years ago. And oh, how sweet these were on that afternoon. God has not destined us for wrath. This is believers in Jesus. He has not destined us. That wasn't his eternal plan for us. Just the opposite. He hasn't destined us for wrath. So you get bad news. If you're a Christian, you can say, it's not wrath. <laughs> That's really good. It's not wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake, that is alive, or asleep, that is dead, we will live with him. So God predestines, this happened before the foundation of the world, he destined us not for wrath, but for salvation, and then to achieve the destiny that he appointed for us, he sends the Lord, his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us in our place so that we may live forever with him. And here's another way of saying it in chapter 1, which we just looked at. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son, the Lord. Now, he has already come once and died for us so that there'll be no wrath. He's carried our guilt and our punishment so there's no more wrath. But now we're waiting for him a second time 
for the Son from heaven, whom he raised after he died from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of God. So Jesus, having died for us to take our punishment and absorb God's wrath and remove our guilt, is coming a second time, and he's going to shield us from the wrath of God that he purchased, that salvation that he purchased for us. So if I ask, what is what does it mean to be the church in God and in the Lord? I'm going to say it means to be in his eternal favor. He destined us to escape his wrath and to live with him forever. So that's one thing it means. Another would be in his protection. We are wrapped in his asbestos salvation so that when the blazing wrath of God comes on the world at the end of this age, it will not consume us because we are in God. We are in God, in his favor, in his protection. And I would add three in his, and just to put it mildly, company. And I get that from that text back here, live with him. We will live with him. Now, we know from elsewhere that we're not just in his company, we're in his family, but I left it company. So, and I say the church in God, the church in the Lord Jesus, I think in this letter first, in his eternal favor, in his protection, in his company and family forever. And just a brief word on grace to you and peace. Everywhere in Paul's 13 letters, he begins somewhere in the first few verses with the word grace to you. And everywhere at the end of Paul's 13's letters, he says, grace be with you. And so my thought, and I just give it to you as a suggestion, is that the reason he says, I, I give grace to you, I call down God's grace and peace to you at the beginning of the letter and with you at the end is that you are just now starting to read glorious, gracious, peace-producing things in this letter. Grace is coming to you as you read this letter, coming to us as we study this letter. When we're done and we walk away from the letter, grace will go with us. That's my understanding of grace to you at the beginning, grace with you at the end.